For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Today's scripture reading is from John 1, through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him, about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the gates and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. Hey, uh, if you have a little PTSD after that Barb episode, um, we have some counselors available in the lobby. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're super OCD, I'm going to fix this for you, too, just so that doesn't... Okay. <laughs> Maybe I am. Is that what you're laughing at? I get it. I get it now. Everybody, I'm, I'm Steve Weens. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, and welcome to the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And we follow the rhythms of the church calendar here at Genesis. And so it starts with Advent, four weeks where we wait in the dark. And we wait for the light of the world to come. We wait with hope. We wait with honesty. And then 12 days of Christmas, Christmas tide, where we celebrate the light of the world coming. And then Epiphany starts on January 6th, and it goes all the way to Ash Wednesday. So we're at the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And the Epiphany celebrates that moment when some of the disciples and some of us have that moment where we say, oh, God is Christ-like. That the incarnation was given to us to show us who God is in the flesh. And so we see Jesus in a whole different way. So that's what the epiphany is. And in this text, we see two different reactions to Jesus. I love it. Philip is hopeful. He's inspired. He goes and tells his buddy Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. But Nathaniel is cynical and disappointed. And he says this famous quote, especially this week, can, he, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So right away, we have this strong warning be careful about judging people who come from backwater places. You just never know. So let's get it out of the way. The president apparently said something about certain countries using a word that I will not repeat. And if he said that, it was ignorant and harmful. But lest we linger there with our finger pointed and our insufferable self-righteousness, on display fully. 
I would like to invite us to move into self-reflection. Who is it that I discredit on the basis of where they come from, what they do, who they voted for? And it's not so easy. I mean, it's super easy to say, oh, my goodness, can't believe it. And that gives us an opportunity to absolutely run from self-reflection. Let's not be those people. Let's call out things that aren't good. We can do that. But then let's move on to be people who actually follow Jesus into seeing others with love and grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. All right. So the background of this text, because it's a little confusing, um, it's in John 1, so John's trying to say something right away. He doesn't waste time with the genealogies like Matthew does. He moves right into this story where Jesus shows up to a person named Philip and blows him away. So Philip goes and tells this guy named Nathaniel, hey, we've found the one who Jesus wrote about. So we should automatically be asking the question, what is Philip so excited about? And why, what is it that he's saying that this is the one that Moses wrote about? So a little background. King David, around 1000 B.C., united Israel and that remained united under Solomon. But then this moment came where the children of Israel split into two tribes. The first denominational church split <laughs> happened in about the mid-900s B.C., and it happened primarily because Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. So Solomon, in a political move, sought to gain some advantage by uniting with Egypt. And if you know the meta-narrative of Israel and Egypt, <laughs> is that a good idea or a bad idea? Now think metaphorically here. To unite with the place that you were formerly enslaved to is to agree to continue an enslavement of a people. And Solomon even writes, be careful not to, in, remember, you were slaves. Be careful not to be people who enslave others. And then Israel becomes the very thing that they used to have to be uh, delivered from. So, so the northern kingdom, it's called Israel, and they're in the north, and then the southern kingdom, the two tribes, is called Judah. And they live in Jerusalem, that's their capital. Samaria is the capital of, of the northern kingdom. The northern, northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians in 723. The southern kingdom survives, but eventually gets conquered by the Babylonians in 597. In 586, the temple, the glorious Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, gets destroyed to the ground. And in the time of Jesus... The children of Israel are living under Roman rule, and all of Israel is waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow their oppressors and unite Israel once again and sit in the seat of David. That's what they're waiting for. And so that's what Philip feels like they found in the person of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is in Galilee in the north. That's outstate. That's hick. That's uneducated. Reminds me of another phrase that another politician said, equally bad as the one that was uttered this week, the basket of deplorables. That's Nazareth. That's what Nathaniel is saying. 
Did anything good come from there? But he's also saying, I know my Bible. And my Bible says that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. So don't go telling me, Philip, you stupid idiot, that the Messiah is going to come from Nazareth. Because I know, and you know, that he comes from Bethlehem. So right away, Jesus comes in a disguise. Not fair. So the stories in John's gospel, if you really read them, they have more than one layers. And um, so the first layer, I think, in this text, is the theme of accepting or rejecting Jesus. John starts right away in John 1, verses 10 and 11. Jesus was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. So right away, John is setting the stage that even though the Messiah has come, the very people that are waiting for him will reject him. And that's a confrontation to us. Because if we think, oh, no, not me, I would never reject Jesus. I would never reject the Messiah. Open arms, no matter what it costs me. This text is saying, heads up. So Nathaniel doesn't accept him, but Judas didn't accept him either, and Thomas doesn't either until much later. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, but then, remember, he wondered even when he was in prison, because you're not supposed to go to prison when you do the right thing. He wonders if Jesus really is the Messiah or if they should wait for another. Remember when that's written about, about John the Baptist? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he wants to hedge his bets and doesn't want to come out as saying, I really believe in this guy because he's a Pharisee. Pilate never quite buys it. Simon Peter believes it, then denies it, then believes it again. Now the women, of course, never wavered. And that's, I think, at least partly because oppressed people almost always see it and get it first because they understand their need. Now, oppression can look a lot of different ways, right? Oppression can look like sex trafficking. It can look like being an actual slave in actual Egypt, or it can look like having an addiction. The people that I've met who recognize their oppression are almost always the first to see Jesus in his many disguises. Almost always. People in power, on the other hand, and this is just what Jesus means when he says it's easier to, to, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. All that means is it's so hard for people in power to recognize their need and to recognize what is oppressing them. So the Gospels are a series of stories about how oppressed people are attracted to, by Jesus. And people in power want to kill him. But with Nathanael, a little face-to-face -face with Jesus changes his mind. We read this in John 1, 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Jesus said of Nathanael, who had just said, nothing good comes from Nazareth, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And like, I don't know what Jesus is saying right there. I don't know if that's sarcastic. I don't know if that's like some code, like, like he, he grew up as like this super honest guy, Nathaniel. 
or if he just wants to get an in with Nathanael. I have no idea what Jesus is trying to say here. But Nathanael, rising to the occasion, says, where did you get to know me? I mean, the audacity to talk like that to a rabbi. And then Jesus says this super obscure thing. Oh, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Like you do. So all of a sudden, Jesus feels like a stalker, perhaps. But whatever that meant for Nathaniel, Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So some in Jesus was speaking to Nathaniel through some in, in some internal way. Jesus gave Nathaniel a gift in some bizarre, mysterious, personal, internal way that helped Nathaniel change his mind about who Jesus was. Now, I think in 2018, skepticism and cynicism are seen as really high values, and maybe they should be in an era where we don't know what to believe or who to believe. I could preach a really eloquent sermon about the merits of being a little more like Nathaniel, skeptical, cynical, than Philip, who seems a little gullible, doesn't he? I mean, he's the first to believe anything. Woo, I got it. Hey, Bethlehem member. Oh, man. <laughs> but what we hear over and over again in the book of John, and especially in this text, is these three words, come and see. What a delicious invitation. Come and see. Those of you who are gullible, come and see. Those of you who are skeptical, come and see. So don't raise your hand, because that would be awkward. But who are you more like? Philip? Gullible? Yeah, who cares? Bethlehem? Nazareth? I don't care. Or Nathaniel? Hmm. Jesus called them all to be his disciples. Isn't that awesome? Jesus called a skeptic. Jesus called someone who might have been kind of gullible. Jesus called Judas, who would later betray him. Jesus calls a tax collector and someone that would have hated tax collectors, which is Judas. And he calls them all to be his disciples, just like he calls us to be his disciples, Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians. I'm not going to forget you. <laughs> Gay and straight, black and white, and every shade in between are who Jesus calls to be his disciples. So are you for Jesus or against Jesus? That's one layer. You might need to sit there. There's another layer, and that's the theme of accepting the invitation to come and see. And John, I mean, he is like, he's playing one note over and over and over again, this idea of seeing. In verse 50, which Abby just read, Jesus answered to Nathanael, do you believe about the fig tree? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. I tell you the truth, you'll see greater things than these, which I hope so because that was a fig tree. <laughs> and he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Whoa. John 1.29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, 
there's the Lamb of God. John 1, 37 through 39, when the two disciples heard him say this, John the Baptist, they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked them, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? His reply was, come and you will see. And back to Nathaniel, John 1, 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. It's fascinating that he doesn't engage Nathaniel in a theological debate right there. Well, really, Bethlehem is a code name for Nazareth. It wasn't. Just come and see. So here's an all-play question. All-play questions, if you're new around here, are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. What is the invitation, not just from Jesus, but from anyone, to come and see? What is that invitation? Katie just asked, what do I mean? So let me, but Deva said, experience. What I mean is when someone invites you into their world, what does that mean? Become part of it. Evidence? Evidence. Thanks, Don. And David, you did say experience. Come experience it. Taste it. Take off your shoes and put on mine. Set aside your preconceived notions for a moment. Thanks, Pam. Allow for doubt. Love it. Mm, I'll give you rest if you're burdened. Thanks, Anthony. Someone else? There's vulnerability there. Come and see who I am for real. Right? That's an invitation. Come and see who I am for real. Come and see where I live. Come and see what I see. I had the awesome opportunity to go to someone's house this last week from Genesis with about 15, 20 other people. This person had just moved in to her house, and it was not all put together. And she was like, hey, welcome. Come on in. I was going to make popcorn, but I decided not to. And I was like, I love this so much right now. I feel welcomed in because she didn't crush herself to pretend like you can move into a house on one day and then have it completely ready on the next day to, you know, in, entertain people. Come and see. Come and see where I live. It's not perfect. I loved it. I loved it. Well, I think the invitation to come and see, this is the next layer that John is trying to teach, is first of all, a gift. So when Jesus says this in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And this is his kind of mission statement. This is why he's come into the world. He sent me, the Lord has sent me, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. If you have learned how to see in a different way, it is because you've been given a gift. Amen? So what if I could really see my kids, my spouse, myself, my enemies, God? What if we really could see each other as God sees us, 
what would happen? What if we actually recognize each other as image bearers of the eternal master of the universe? Thomas Merton had this experience. Thomas Merton was a Catholic priest, lived in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And he wrote lots of great books. He was a contemplative um, that was much more loved and accepted now than when he was actually alive. But he had this experience that he writes about that I'm going to read to you. He's in Louisville, probably on the bourbon tour. (laughs) I just can't help it. In Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, Merton writes, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I was theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world. The sense of liberation from, from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a human, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me now that I realize what all of we are, what, what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. There would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. But this cannot be seen, only believed and understood by a peculiar gift. If you want to read that quote later, just Google Thomas Merton. Louisville. So first of all, it's a gift. God wants to give each person the gift of sight. Seeing ourselves, seeing each other, and seeing God through the lens of how God sees them. So if that's the first movement, what's the second? You all know this. If the first is, it's a gift, what's the second? Receive the gift. Receive the gift. That's Nathaniel's story. And we don't know what happens, but somehow Nathaniel goes from Nazareth to you are the son of God. You are the rabbi. This is Simon Peter's story. This is Mary Magdalene's story. This is the Samaritan woman at the well story. Instead of fighting it, and we do have a tendency to fight it, you are much more than you think. No, I'm not. Receiving the gift. So let's, let's spend a moment on that. What does it take in you to receive a big gift? That's an all play. 
Humility. Thanks, John. Vulnerability. Thanks, Leah. Whoa, Jenny. A knowing of my own need. Openness. Thanks, Anthony. Gratitude. Is that you, Don? Gratitude. Whoa, Dan. An acknowledgement that a gift is being given to you. Whoa, Scott. Hey, uh, I'll pay for this lunch. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you won't. I've told you before, if you offer to pay for my lunch, you know what my response is? Thank you. <laughs> Woo! Hey, can we get this out of the way on the front end? Are you going to buy me lunch? Because that might affect what I order. <laughs> can we just say it out loud? Can we just speak out loud about it? That's just a little thing like lunch. What about friendship? Whoa, Amber, I have to be able to see myself as well to receive a gift. Receiving a gift is not as easy as we pretend it is. We fight it, man, because we don't deserve it, we feel like. We feel like the minute we receive a gift, we're going to have to pay something back of equal or greater value. You ever been there? I don't want to ask for help, because if I ask for help and they say yes, I'm in their debt. I'll pay next time for lunch. I do say that sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then the third step, it's not a step. The third movement, after you've received a gift, if you want to see, because now you've come. Coming is receiving the, getting the gift offered to you, receiving it. Now seeing is you have to submit to the teacher's that God brings you who will help you to see. These teachers can be bankruptcy, an encounter with the other, sickness, an epiphany like Thomas Merton, job loss, the birth of a child, desire for justice. There's a bunch of teachers that'll teach you how to see, but you have to submit to the seeing. Martin Luther King Jr., after he got his Ph.D., became the pastor at Dexter Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. What was America like in 1955? <laughs> Some people thought so, Karen. There was one view that it was, man, those are the golden age. That, I mean, a lot of, still, people say, oh, man, the 50s, we can only get back to there. Depends who you talk to, right? So he became the pastor of Dexter Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He got involved in the Montgomery bus boycott. So we're not going to take the bus anymore. We're going to try to cripple the economy. That was one of his first nonviolent uh, responses to injustice. And then when the police released dogs and a fire hose on the protesters, uh, national TV captured it. And at that moment, the civil rights movement became national. MLK was arrested. And all this happened before his 26th birthday. 26. What were you doing when you were 26? 
He was 34 when he gave the I Have a Dream speech. Can you believe that? 34. He was one of the most hated men of his time. I mean, we think, oh, MLK, we love him. BMLK in 1963, giving that speech. Receive the death threats, worry about your kids, fix your window for the 50th time when a brick comes through it. He was 39 when he was killed, 39 years old. We're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his death this year. MLK Jr. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate his life as a country. I want to encourage you to watch the I Have a Dream speech, to read letters from Birmingham jail, to just get in touch with his heart and spirit, because maybe he could be a teacher that would help you to see what you don't see. Because all of us are blind to a certain degree. Amen? What if we could just admit that, man? I'm blind on many levels. Jesus will continue to bring you opportunities. Teachers that he brings into your life that will teach you to see. Because when the student is ready, the master will appear. Will you receive it? Or will you keep pointing your finger at someone else who's doing it wrong? Can we be different than that? Can we be people who say, I, I, will, I will walk my journey, and I will do it with fellow pilgrims who also want to walk a journey of love and justice so that the dream that MLK Jr. had in 1963 might someday come true so that the vision that Thomas Merton had on the corner of 4th and Walnut in Louisville that day could be realized that we really do belong to each other. No matter what you believe, we belong to each other. And we will be given opportunities to come and then see.